Jerk. What? We just beat on the air, no panel on the wall. Hello. Biggest jerk. Bet I'm a jerk. We'll talk about that in a second. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we are going to talk about source code. You'll see that's source code. (laughs) You don't have to say it that way. It's not nearly as emphatic a movie as what we talked about last week. Um, so as I said, I, I'm Tom Chick. Let me introduce the other two folks that are, that are here with me today. Uh, we have Christian McCluskey. Uh, Christian, I uh, I don't know why you think I'm a jerk. That's a very mean way to open a podcast. Hmm. I am the one and only. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> I do. I get uh, it. Well, uh, Kelly Wand, you get that. Uh, explain it in a moment. But first, do you have for us this week a source code related tagline? That's no moon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I want to like accuse you of going for the low hanging fruit, but you know what? Well played. <laughs> That's as far high up as I can reach. You know, my foot. <laughs> I had a backup. Here's the backup one. It's not the Afghanistan that's haunted. It's your Chechnya. Kelly Wand, would you like to tell me where you've received your training? Chechnya? It, Afghanistan? It, the Indiana Jones one is, it ain't your years that are haunted. It's the mileage. Mm. Mm. Because you yep. made my security look like minimum wage mall costs. That's hurtful. That's, that's hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> One person got my. Uh, I, I tried out that Kevin Klein joke that you guys didn't get last week, and no one wrote in to say I got it. So I get the sense no one got it, but one movie buff got it. And it was like, see, like that was enough for me. That, you know what? That, yeah, I completely understand. I I like that school of humor. If you can if you can make a reference that only one person gets, that in a way makes the reference all the better. I'm thinking that's all I can do is make jokes one person on the planet would get at a time. At a time. <laughs> I do that, but usually the one person is me. <laughs> uh, Christian McCluskey, why don't you tell us a bit about what source code is? Don't give away any spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, stick around for a minute. We're going to tell you before we get into spoilers. So, uh, Christian McCluskey, what exactly is this source code thing that, that we're going to be talking about? All right, just to make it clear to people which source code we're talking about so they can make an informed <laughs> decision whether or not to turn off the podcast right now. Uh, this uh, week we saw Source Code, which is a 2011 science fiction thriller movie. Uh, no drama in it. None. It's about a soldier trying to stop a terrorist attack. Uh, it is directed by Duncan Jones and stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Vera Farmiga, and Michelle... Uh, I don't know how to say her name. Monan. Uh, the film is rated PG-13 for some violence, including disturbing images and some languages. <laughs> A disturbing image is violence. That includes yeah, that, it's a subset of violence. It's mental violence. Oh, it's like being raped in the mind, which is how a friend of mine described Sucker Punch. By the way, <laughs> that's deep. Sucker Punch. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, now let's get into some spoiler territory. Kelly Wand, why don't you break down for us in a little bit more meticulous detail uh, what exactly is going on with this source code movie? All right. Um, Oh, I have a new feature for the synopsis. 
It's where I say what the movie is across of before the synopsis. Ah, so, good. I like that. Okay, so yeah, what, what, how would you do that with source code? I'd say it's Groundhog Day meets Final Destination by way of Deja Vu, which I didn't see. What is, what is Deja Vu? Oh, Kevin oh God, yes, yes. It is that horrible Tony Scott thing with Denzel Washington, which I definitely noted, but I couldn't think of the name of it. Very good. But there's the Nicolas Cage one, too. Wasn't there one where he he sees the future, but two seconds in advance or something or something? Well, there's no one where he doesn't. No, no, no. Okay. Right. He's oh, a dumb that? in that one. <laughs> That's his superpower in knowing. Considering I, ironic title because his character's an idiot. But, um, uh, was it the paycheck or payback thing or what? Payfleck. That's Ben Affleck's Payfleck movie. But I think you're right. No, there's an, um, it's got a hot girl in it. It's Amber Heard, right? And Nicolas Cage. Wait, I'm thinking of the other movie. God. Hang on. Drive angry. He does not see into the future. What's the Nicolas Cage movie where he's psychic and the guy's about to shoot him and he goes, don't worry, I already perceived you were going to shoot. Like, by then the guy could have shot him. Kelly Wand, I've actually seen it. And if I'm not mistaken, he has A, a really bad hairstyle, like more than normal. And B, isn't isn't there a scene, an action set piece involving, and I'm not making this up, rolling logs? That's insomnia. No, no. I think this is the Nicolas Cage thing where he, he can see. I, I you sound pretty sure. Yeah. I, think, uh, I, I trust your certainty. But like, as was, was the case with Deja Vu, I don't remember the title of it. Uh, but anyway, very well put. All, all four movies, I, I, I agree. That's a good crossbreeding. Now, why don't you break it down for us in a little bit oh. more detail? All right. Also, one last footnote is uh, I was trying to think of movies where going sucker punch like that would be in, most inappropriate and then I thought of Shoah. <laughs> <laughs> like if an announcer's trying to psych you up for the movie. Well, like, yeah, like if, if Shoah is ever playing at a local theater, when you call yeah. that movie phone dude, does he say the name in Tonight. that? Yeah. Sure. Do on, does he do go, you... like when you press three, does he go, you have selected Shoah. Shoah. Rated R. <laughs> Because we're all L.A. based. Do you remember the announcer who used to do like when they played movies on TV and it was a big deal because we didn't have video yet? And it's like the announcer's voice at the in the commercials would go, and now back to the jerk. <laughs> I think that was just the 70s. Yeah. Uh, and and like, the 80s. They talk back then. Like, like in the 40s, everyone went. Yep. <laughs> it's the jerk. Yep. Exactly. We're evolving so fast. OK. Source code. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> source code offices, blah, blah. Okay, so this dude named uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, don't know the actor's name, suddenly finds himself on a train talking to that brown chick from Eagle Eye about her becoming a guru and moving to India because he advised her to. And he's all, wait, what am I doing here? I fly helicopters in Afghanistan. And she goes, no, I think you're thinking of Jarhead, only you were a sniper. And he's all, no, I think it's Toby Maguire goes to Afghanistan. I play the good brother. And she goes, wait, I thought Will Ferrell was the other brother. And he goes, no, that was John C. Riley. Juliet Lewis was the other sister. And she goes, if I knew I had only 60 seconds left to live, I can't think of a better way to spend them than this converse. Boom! And the train blows up. <laughs> and Jake Gyllenhaal wakes up inside a submarine with the mom from Orphan giving him a psychic card test on the TV screen. And she goes, did you find the bomb yet? And he's all, uh, you mean Prince of Persia? And she goes, okay. 
It is good, huh? <laughs> Having you totally confused and baked is totally normal military procedure. Go back onto the train and find out which guy is a psychotic bomber and get his license plate and cell phone number. There's about 300 people on the train, but don't worry, you have eight minutes. Good luck. And he's all, wait, Rick, what's a minute again? Boom. It's too late. It's back on the silver streak. And Eagle Eye's going, wait, so is Katie Holmes your real-life sister in a parallel universe? Because she's the one in the other Batman. And he goes, wait, wait, I know, Quantum Leap. And he looks in a mirror and he sees his reflection as from another universe. So he goes back to the lady and he asks her, wait, I hope this isn't a deal breaker sex-wise, but who am I again? And she goes, Sean Fentress. And he goes, oh, am I a psychotic bomber? And she goes, no, but maybe the guy whose body you're in is. Did you ever think of that? And the train blows up again. And Chris Orphan Mom goes, how's finding the bomb going? Oh, and how's being blown up repeatedly feel? I was kind of wondering about that. And he's all... Well, it helps if I'm kissing, but not much. Look, is there any way we can maybe use like an earlier eight minutes? This is fucking lame. And he's back on the train again. Because he's going through the wormhole. That's what that meant. Uh, only now it's the orphan mom looking at him from the other seat. And she's saying, I have the weirdest craving for Juliet Lewis. And he's all, I do you or the eagle eye girl. Tell me all about it. And as she talks, he takes a seven minute, 58 second nap. And he wakes up just in time to see her crying. And she goes, I can't believe you slept through my life story. This is the second worst day of my boom. Train blows up again. And then this time when he comes back to life, the submarine he's on is like super cold and stuff. And he has ice in his hair. And he's all, hey, what's with the ice? What do I pay taxes for? And orphan mom's all, oh, we were going to surprise you with cocktail shrimp, but we forgot the shrimp part. Find that bomb yet? And he's all... Look, can you give me a couple clues or something? I really don't know what the fuck you want from me. I'm a helicopter pilot. Uh, shouldn't you be using like a psychologist or a cop or a bomb defusing expert or something? And she goes, we would, but you're the only dead guy we could find in Afghanistan on two months notice. And he's all, what the? And she goes, but don't worry, we stashed a gun in the toilet for you. Good luck. And he's all, wait, a gun? What is this? The Godfather? How is that even possible? If you can get a gun on board in the past, just take the fucking bomb off. And what the fuck you want me to even do with it? Shoot the bomber, the bomb, what? And she goes, just shoot everybody on the train. They're all dead anyway. Shoot them all in the dick if you want. Good luck. And he's all, wait, tell my dad that one time while he was sleeping, I leaned over and farted on his boom. Submarine crashes again. And now Juliet Lewis is sitting across from him, and she's all, yeah, the love guru with Mike Myers, that's who I want to be. Thanks for that advice. And he sees two nerds acting suspicious, so he has to borrow their phones. Um, oh, yeah, and also there's a reality star who's also a famous stand-up comic, and he's bitter and angry because he switched trains at the last minute with Charlie Sheen, and he has a bad feeling about playing Detroit that night. And Juliet Lewis is all to Jake, so what's your deal? And he's all, did you see that Johnny Depp movie where he's got to kill Neil Simon's wife, and there's that shitty dream sequence where he falls into the fountain? That was really weak, huh? And she's all, oh, yeah, Nick, boom, and then the train crashes again. And then Jake's all... <laughs> What the fuck, Lieutenant Sergeant Orphan Mom? That wasn't eight minutes. And some black dude with a wooden leg and a glass cock walks onto his TV screen and sits on Orphan Mom's annoyed lap and goes, Yeah, sorry, I was by the coffee maker, hit the wrong button. Sorry about that. Uh, by the way, I invented that ice in your hair, but it's not real, and neither is time or me. And Jake's all, wait, what? And the black guy's all, all right, thanks for reminding me. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but you're actually a brain and a beard in a jar with another beard on it, like on the outside of the jar. And there's also some wax lips on it. It's a long story. Oh, also, you're not really wearing those clothes. Your brain just invented those as a way of coping with the ice in your hair. And also, uh, how's the bomb mission going? 
and Jake undoes his flight jacket zipper, and he goes, wait, so my brain thinks the sound of this zipper will help me cope? And the black guy's all, oh, yeah, that reminds me. Sure hope you're on the right train, because it might have been a bus that blew up, actually. Keep your eyes peeled. Although, in reality, they literally are peeled. It's kind of gross, huh? And Jake's all, wait, please, just one quick question. It's super important. And the black guy's all, what? And Jake raises his finger and goes, uh, I forgot. Wait, um, oh, yeah, now I remember. Boom. Submarine crashes through a continuum-shaped fruit cart, and watermelons go cascading everywhere in slow motion, and he's back on the train, and Gene Wilder's sitting across from him and saying, I sure hope me and Richard Pryor don't do any more movies together, because each one will suck more than the last one. And Jake's all, that's it, Whitey, who's the whitest person on this train? Hollywood can't use brown people for terrorists anymore. They might get bombed, even though Michelle Monaghan is kind of brown-haired and eyed. And he sees a dude leaving his wallet on the train steps as he gets off, and he goes, aha, see, he's doing that so people think he's dead when the train blows up. And Gene Wilder goes, wait, what? A wallet would get incinerated if the train blows up. Is one of us high? And Jake goes, never mind that, and don't call me Shirley. And he sends a text to the orphan mom in a parallel universe that says, look for a white van in a parking lot. And he bets the reality star $100 from the terrorist wallet and also the detonator that the guy can't do his act right then. And bomb as bad as the one that's going to blow up the train. And the guy's all, I don't know, a lot of old people on this train. Kind of worried they might not get my uh, fart jokes or that they'll pinch a nerve. But Jake goes, come on, it's the end of the movie. So the comedian gets up and he goes... Hey, anyone here from out of town? Take my act, please. I got a dozen of them per universe. And uh, Jake kisses Gene Wilder at the same moment. The orphan mom pours shrimp on his brain, and the train doesn't blow up. And he's all, oh, I get it. By my dying in source code, at the same instant that I'm not dying on the train, I've, like, totally kick-started this new universe. Suck it, black physicist with wooden cockeye. And the girl's all, why does your tongue taste like shrimp? And they look at their reflections in Chicago's famous giant reflective interdimensional turtle shell spaceship in Dealey Plaza. And he's all, wait, why is my reflection me now and not Sean Fentress's? And Sean Fentress's voice in his head goes, wait, now you have my body? Dude, I was working on this chick for two months, and now you're just stealing her and my body from me forever? And Jake goes, don't worry, in a parallel universe, you blew up, and you're not bummed about this right now. And then the orphan mom in the other universe gets a mysterious text from Jake's brain that says only, my brain's got shrimp inside it. Please let my father know. XO, Jake. And she's all, huh, I guess you really did receive his training in Afghanistan. Only she says it backwards because Jake's fucked up space and time now, so everything's in reverse except for the midget's gobbledygook on Twin Peaks, which in this universe had a season. The end. Kelly Wong, that was pretty good. Wow. Uh, uh, metaphysical, man. Metaphysical comedy. I, I think you've outdone yourself. That was, uh, <laughs> that was... I'd rather talk about your synopsis in the movie, maybe. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's break that down. Can, we, can you run that back? Uh, uh, and I saw Moon just before we started recording this podcast. Ah, good. All right. So I just want to uh, say for folks, geez. I can't imagine anybody has seen Source Code without seeing Moon. So uh, let's assume that we will be spoiling Moon as well, if we need to. Just I hate to spoil it for anyone, though, because it's so fucking good. Who is going to yeah. see Source Code, though, and not see Moon? Well, I did, because I'm a dumbass. But, but I didn't know who that was. I didn't know he was David Bowie's son either. The director. But you immediately knew to go see Moon after having seen Source Code. Yeah. So let's. let's well, then I remember Ding, it was Dingus's favorite year, or favorite. It was favorite year. His favorite year and movie of the same year. 
2009, wasn't it? Yeah, yep. stay on the top ten. And now that I've seen him, I, I like Dingus more. Like, oh yeah, Moon. All right, it's so good. The, it's a Moon spoiler. It's a it's a spoiler zone for Moon <clears throat> on this podcast now. Just so folks know. Uh, just see and don't listen to the rest of this nonsense, <laughs> and then come back if you feel like it. Because Moon's really important. It's must see viewing. Did we right? do a moon? Oh, I guess we didn't do a moon podcast. No, I was I was the holdup, and now I'm not. So right. we probably saw Clash of the Titans instead. Moon was actually before we started this. No, Moon's only like two months old. Good point. <laughs> we have done a podcast on it though. Well, no, it just feels like it's two months old because we're all clones. Ah, very good. But I wish. Source code had had more moon in it, and I liked source code. But I source code was not. I think it showed that source code was not written by Duncan Jones. It was well, written by a guy who had done a couple of species movies. Uh, How about that? Well, moon, moon, moon was, was written, written by someone else too. Yeah, it the was story was by, the story was by Duncan Jones, but the script was not. It was it written by this, Parker Nathan Parker. I'm going to say writers' names of people who write awesome movies from now on. Should That's we say the, the name of the writer of uh, Source Code? But less so. Okay. We should say Nathan Parker's name constantly, because he wrote Moon. And... We'll maintain a two-to-one ratio of Nathan Parker to Ben Ripley's name. I think that's the name of the, the Source Code writer. Ben Ripley, do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. But I was going to say, you know what made Source Code maybe like it more a little bit was an adjustment bureau, because yes. Hollywood is so pussified right now, that they, and they have to shoehorn happy endings and romance into every science fiction scenario, and so... I'd like at least a source code, I will say, should be the absolute lowest baseline <laughs> for how much you can do that. It's the bare minimum of well, happening bullshit. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of how to to blend romance with a sci-fi premise and likable actors in source code. It seems much better balanced than it than was it just, in Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, Right. Uh, now, Dingus says, as, as our resident Adjustment Bureau defender, I mean, it worked better for you than, than for Kelly or I. W- would you agree with that? How, how did you feel that Source Code and Adjustment Bureau lined up? Um, I I kind of agree with what you're saying, although I prefer the chemistry of the actors in Adjustment Bureau because uh, I got nothing off of, uh, of the uh, Michelle Monaghan in this. Oh, really? Oh. She was sad. sweet. She was fine. It, you know, it, it felt like, honestly, it felt like she was just constantly giving, uh, getting to have a new whack at a line reading. Um, yeah, it's a thankless that. role. She has to, only has like a couple lines, and she has to say them over and over. Well, she's constantly doing the, these kinds of roles. She's gimped. Um, but but there there didn't feel it didn't feel like there was really any spark between her and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I disagree. Really? That's mean. Not not in the way that, that uh, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. I mean that that was that was fire. I mean that was that's But they had an easier run because this was more I mean it had to be their first conversation every time. So it was hard for them to do well, I do I do agree with Dingus though that Matt Damon and Emily Blunt are ultimately stronger actors if you want to rank them. Uh, so I, I definitely think there's something there. But considering that part of my reservations about Source Code were the two leads uh, coming out of it, I, I was pretty pleasantly surprised with how they did. I mean, yeah, I, they're fine. The, the biggest problem for me with Jake Gyllenhaal is how how is when he's miscast, like in Prince of Persia. He does right. a great job as the kind of the clueless schlub who's in over his head. And the moment that source code started, I was like, oh, good. You're, you're making you, – you realize Jake Gyllenhaal's limitations. Uh, th- this is a good part for him. Um, 
I believed him in this. I thought he was kind of he was a good everyman. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I I loved him. I loved him when when he says at one point, "Don't blow me up again." Uh, I mean, he just gets that. I mean, he gets mm-hmm. that that thing of this. They don't have to explain how awful this is for him every time. You hear it when he says, "Don't just please don't blow me up again." Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's great. He's great. And Tom is absolutely right that in that sort of that that clueless schlub role with you know a great looking clueless sh- shrub sh- schlub. He's great. <laughs> uh, I just didn't. I I didn't get that there would be a romance there, and that's what I kind of liked. I I liked that he didn't really have to be distracted by that because she could disappear for ten minutes. You know, could you go off and get the internet on your phone? Thanks. See you later. And then she would be gone for, you know, five minutes and he would be running around the train doing stuff and really not worried about her. And I didn't have any problem with that. He had a cool rapport with Vera Farmiga, too. Like, they didn't try and make them a romantic thing. It was more about, like, she's playing Gert. Yeah, very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah, well, there's a little, there was an element of that, of Gert, for for both ends, I think, as far as the reveal where he's only text. I loved that, and it did make me think of uh, Gertie a little bit. Gertie. Yeah, uh, he's great. Right. That's a good point. Um, but but certainly Vera Farmiga, I don't she can do no wrong. I mean, seeing I loved the way the camera was just up so close to those big blue eyes. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. She looked amazing. Uh, yeah. And I believed her in that role, too. Yeah. yeah. She seemed good. So, and uh, and someone whispered to me like I was talking. Oh, yeah, it's the orphan mom. And then someone whispered to me like, oh, I felt really the dad didn't deserve to die an orphan. Spoiler alert. And then I went, yeah, he did. He didn't believe her. He didn't believe Vera Farmiga. Idiot. He deserves to die. For that. So that's my review of Vera Farmiga. Uh, Kelly Wand, have you seen Running Scared uh, starring Paul Walker? I'm not familiar with Paul Walker. <laughs> well, it's Paul Walker and Vera Farmiga. So they're right there. Uh, isn't that? Four, oh, I got to see it. She's in that. They're right there are four of Hollywood's brightest, bluest eyes. So, <laughs> and Paul Walker's. <laughs> uh, but this movie's better than Adjustment Gear because it's about ideas. Like, there's more ideas in it. It gives a shit about its own. Like, Adjustment Gear didn't even care about what it was about, really. Oh, map, someday you'll get to. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Asleep, someone's doing something. Answers are boring. Fuck answers. And it's like. But I also thought, I thought it peaked kind of early, and I the ending. I don't know. Do you Hold guys a like thought that? on the ending. We'll, we'll get to the ending because I definitely want us to talk about that. Uh, Dingus, how did it work for you as 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 a premise? So I'm guessing all three of us liked it, by the way. Yeah, it's worth seeing, especially Dingus, coming after Sucker Punch. It's a yeah. palate cleanser. But even even regardless of uh, what what else we've seen lately, Dingus, would you say that, that you liked it? That it worked for you? I guess. No, oh, I I really liked it, um, and, and I like what. I like what Kelly just said, though, about it peaking early, because there, there was a moment for me where I was like, oh, where I got that great, thrilling feeling that you mm-hmm. get, especially when watching sci-fi, where you're like, what the hell's going on here? Um, and then there was a moment uh, a little while after that where I was like, oh, no, don't, because when you're watching this kind of movie, and it happened to me when watching Moon 2, where I was just thinking, oh, please don't mess it up. Please don't fuck it up. Hold on. And in Moon, that never happened. I never I never had a feeling that that they ever, ever fucked it up. It just it carried through when you when you get that feeling when you're watching a movie and you're like, this is going to be five stars. I just love this movie. Please hold on to it. And uh, and early on in this movie, I just got this great feeling about it. And then there was a moment where it just went. Um, but I still really liked it. But it did. It did. 
it did peak early, as Kelly Wan said. So where did where did it fail? Do you feel? Uh, f- for me, the moment where it really where I really felt like, oh, don't do that, is when uh, when Jeffrey Wright says source code is, and then goes on a protracted explanation of what source code is. Uh, it's that moment like, uh, you know, you can't, no one can tell you what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. And now I'm going to spend 10 minutes telling you what the matrix is. It's that, it's that whole thing where he's just talking and talking about source code. And I just didn't want that. I mean, one of the, one of the joys about Moon for me is that you leave that movie and you have to sort of construct the whys. Uh, and there's a, there's a great, there's a couple of great threads about that where people are debating, well, how, why is this happening? Why is that happening? What are the reasons for this? Um, and they're not holes in the plot, but they're things that you have to construct because nobody sat there and looked at the camera and said, this is what the movie is about. And, um, and I just didn't want that. There's ways to convey that information more interestingly, though, and I think it was crucial information. Like in Jurassic Park, they had that little movie that they watch, and in, in The Matrix, they had all you, you saw like the battery. I'm holding the battery to break it down for you. Like if this had been, but there's no, there was no plausible way for that to happen in that scene, I guess. Well, Moon opened with a little bit about explaining the whatever they're mining from from the moon. I mean, I think every three. most oh very good uh, most science fiction does fall to the temptation to have this exposition and i actually didn't i hear what you're saying dingus but i thought it was mercifully brief like i didn't feel yeah. like like you know they he threw out the terms parabolic calculus and synaptic maps and that was pretty much it um it was sort of like this is for the people in the midwest you know we're just gonna i actually i apologize to everyone in the Midwest. What? i know there's plenty <laughs> of dumb people there's plenty of dumb, thick people in orange county too so it's not for them the rest <laughs> of it's for them well, the, the explanation bit where Jeffrey Wright does explain, you know, OK, here's the premise. Here's what source code is. We're just going to throw in, you know, photon milk, uh, nano meds, uh, you know, just stuff like that. It's it's just sci fi ex, exposition. Um, but I, I, it didn't bother me because I thought it was brief enough. But also, more importantly, uh, and I'm curious if you guys would agree with me on this. I loved Jeffrey Wright. Whatever he was doing, I thought it was kind of fascinating to watch. Uh, because he was like weird and he had some odd sort of speech pattern thing he was doing. Um, mm-hmm. So he could have expositioned a little longer even and I wouldn't have minded. Uh, so Dingus, were you not that into his his weird quirky performance? What's what's weird is that I had the opposite uh, reaction. I really grew to hate it. Uh, when he has the scene where he turns the camera to himself, he starts doing this weird vocal thing, and he almost becomes a mustache-twirling villain. Um, there, there's this awful moment after after they have success where he crosses in front of the camera talking on the phone and saying, we finally have our powerful weapon in the war on terror. And then you have the moment where he's c- actually combing his little uh, widow's peak of, of hair there, where it is like a mustache-twirling moment. I mean, for me, as much as I love that actor, it totally didn't work for me and me I, I was disappointed because and but but i think part of it is my prejudice not against black people um or not only we are, that's been well documented but um, yeah, which one of your other prejudices are you yeah, which, about which is the one you're going to surprise us with yeah. <laughs> well w- which one do you think it would be uh i think it's it will be um that you it was d- done better in moon maybe somehow uh, yeah, that's uh, part of it, but but there's there's something is specific. <laughs> Spelled out like specific. too over, like spelling out. No. Well, you know how I like things to be contained. So, 
one of the things that I really wanted and didn't get. And oh, you better not say this. Don't say this, Dingus. I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, don't, don't say it. Go ahead. Say it. No, you told me not to say it. Why don't you say it for me? <laughs> if you're telling yes. If you're telling me, because I'm sitting here watching it now, Dingus, you've screwed up how I watch movies. Because I'm sitting here watching Source Code thinking, I bet Dingus wishes that it was all in Jake Gyllenhaal's capsule and that we didn't leave the capsule and go into the office with Vera Farmiga and Jeffrey Wright. Is that where you're bing, going? Bing, 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 winner! Right, no, nah, they had to, because the ending. No, I, I, I think that that's right, well, although I, uh, the ending is another issue altogether. But that's your um, prejudice. I really like I liked the beleaguered castle like looking at her through the monitor, focusing on her through the monitor and having that relationship happen there. And so I really kind of resented it at first when we had to break right. through that and go into their office because there was this great sort of shadowy relationship where you didn't know who um, Rutledge was exactly. He was a shadowy figure. And then when he comes to the fore and really, really becomes an important character, uh, that was a little disappointing to me. But I mean, I, I came to be okay with that. Okay. Uh, I was fine with that. I didn't expect the movie to do that because it can't. I mean, it's too big a budget right. movie for that. But Moon does a little bit of that. Moon has that sort uh -huh. of, we've got these guys on camera, and we're not going to ever go into that world. You're just no, Moon does that. I think Moon entirely does that. And that, mm -hmm. based on your prejudice, I'm sure that's part of why you loved Moon. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Moon is like, Moon doesn't leave the elevator like Devil does. You know, that's where this first came out when we, when we were talking about exactly. that movie. Exactly. Uh, so, but, but I, I want to throw this counterpoint at you, Dingus. Um, you, you sort of refer to Jeffrey Wright as like a mustache twirling villain, and I can see how you say that. But I want you to consider uh, that Jeffrey Wright actually is, like, I thought the performance wasn't so much mustache twirling villain to me as socially inept nerd. But more importantly, I feel that ultimately from a, a dispassionate perspective, just looking at the events, not so much the characters, Jeffrey Wright's character is 100 percent correct. You know, the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal wants to die and therefore prevent this technology from possibly being used to solve other crimes, to prevent other terrorist acts. I mean, Jeffrey Wright is in the right here when you think about it. Uh, no. Why, no why you, you, I think you're right, Tom, but he's oh. presented as a villain because he wants to wipe his memory and go and yep. he's breaking the deal. He's but, breaking his words yes. that he made. And and, so but, and and but I think you and I agree, Dingus, and Kelly Wand, I'm curious to hear what you have to say in a minute, but, but I think you and I agree, Dingus, that in the overall calculus of human lives, and certainly if Jake Gyllenhaal were really a soldier, he would understand that he needs to stick around and sort of sacrifice whatever, you know, whatever it is he thinks is going to happen to him when they pull the plug. He's kind of being selfish by not allowing himself to be used to save, you know, millions of lives or whatever. He's paid his debt. Fuck that. He's already blown up in the helicopter, and where did he sign papers allowing this to happen? It's illegal. Okay, but I just, I just, it's not illegal. What are you talking about? They, they even, I think they even cover their ass on that one. They probably do, but it's not cool. It may not be the cool, one. But when you think about it, if you want to have a heroic character willing the to parents, suffer to save millions of lives, they don't tell the dad the truth. They don't tell his wife the truth. They don't tell his kid the truth. He doesn't have a wife and kid. Where'd you get that from? Uh, I think I'm thinking of Moon, actually. <laughs> but, you know, I really like what you're saying, Tom. I really like it a lot. Um, but I think that it would have been more uh, effective had that character been more sympathetic. And, and had he been right, fair enough, sort sure. of saying that this is our duty and, yeah, I lied to him, but we have to do this. Instead, it felt like, uh, I'm doing this. Fuck him. Well, well I, I can't... Hmm. 
Well, I, I really feel that the, as, as far as like looking at the events from the outside, what ultimately happens, and let's talk, we'll talk a minute about what, what the ending was getting at, but what ultimately happens is that Vera Farmiga is complicit in ruining this program that would have saved millions of lives because she gets too attached to this. But she did the right thing because she started the universe. She kept the thing from happening. She, by disobeying order, she she brought about a greater good because it made the new universe. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you on that in a minute once we get to the ending. Uh, but yes, that actually is one. That's the only way that ending works for me. Oh, okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute. She, yeah, right. that's actually really an exciting interpretation, Tom. That and and I think it would have been more. Uh, of sort of a, a heartbreaking balance had that care, that other had Rutledge worked for me because that idea of of her subverting an important uh, program that would save lives is lost for me because of the way that the Rutledge character works. But I really like what you're where you're going. And they do kind of make it look comic, like when he's he's yelling at her through the glass at the end. He's <laughs> yeah. definitely it's definitely like a you know the end of the graduate thing where he's like banging on the glass trying to get in and telling her, Don't you do that. Uh, <laughs> they definitely the, yeah, you're right, Dingus, in that that's definitely something that would happen. Yeah, they stack the deck. It's like an avatar where they made the Marine such a dick, like it would have been a more interesting conflict if he hadn't been a dick. And I think Dingus is onto something, actually. Like, if the black guy had been... What's Jeffrey Wright? Right. Right. His name? If he'd been... Because he didn't make a good case for it. Like, if he'd been a sympathetic character, then would she have done that? Well, yeah, and imagine him out there saying, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Instead of, I'm going to I'm gonna fuck you up and I'm going to have these MPV... MP, MP, right. Drag <laughs> you off to Leavenworth. The MPVs. <laughs> I, I meant NPCs. I'm gonna have these NPCs drag you off. I think ultimately think the bottom line, though, is that that's not this stuff that we're talking about isn't really something the script was interested in. And Dingus, you're right, right in that in observing it, instead it just kind of makes a mustache twirling villain. But I really think this is a, a, a sort of a subtle consideration that comes up in the course of the movie that you can kind of mull on afterwards. But it really wasn't something the script was that concerned about. So, so fair enough. Moon right. was. Not written by Ben Ripley. It was written by Nathan Parker. Nathan Parker. Who's, is Ben Ripley uh, British too? Because everyone was was British in the uh, on Moon. I don't. I don't think he is. Yeah. See, that's the problem. You got to have British people. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, isolated. Here's one of the things. So uh, it it did have that very like Groundhog Day thing, but to me, instead of being like Groundhog Day, it felt a little bit more like a level on a video game that you keep replaying, <laughs> and you fail, yeah. and you load back your saved game. You're like, okay, well, this time I'm gonna try to just run and get the gun. And as a guy who's been playing video games forever, I mean, that's sort of that was what I kept thinking of, and I wished that we had gotten to see more iterations. Yeah. Um, but I can understand why they didn't do that. But I think that would have been a much a very playful take is to just show us some some of these iterations. And I wish too, you know, it's PG thirteen. But by golly, I would have liked to have seen him. And he can't really do this because he has to be sympathetic, I guess. I would have liked to have seen him embracing the fact that everything's going to be reset, so he can go through and kill people with that gun, like Jeffrey. Like in Groundhog Day, they did that. And and Groundhog Day. Yeah. And they didn't – They here, I think they just – because it's PG-13, because they want him to be sympathetic, and because Jeffrey Wright has to sort of twirl his mustache, Jeffrey Wright can suggest it. But if he ever did that, we don't see it because there are a bunch of iterations, I presume, that we don't get to see, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're right because there's a couple of moments where it just flashes straight through. Yeah. And I, I had that same – I had that same uh, – 
feeling, Tom. When when he goes for the gun, I thought, this is like me trying to learn to play thief. <laughs> right. Okay. Now I know where the gun is. So every time right. I'm just going to go straight here. Uh, by the way, can you really use a, a flashlight to break open a door like that? Does anyone know? If, if you get your training in Chechnya, but not <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> but how'd they get the gun there again? Because I totally didn't understand that. Well, it, no, the it, was, gun it was the security. Yeah. Right, it was a, it was in a lockbox in the conductor's cabin. It was definitely a security measure that they took. Oh, all right. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that's great about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance for me is that in the iterations we do see, you get a sense of his changing attitude in yeah. really great little subtle ways. Um, you know, and the, the different ways he's reacting to her in the beginning each time. Not just the little jokes about, uh, uh, you know, coffee spilling or the soda or whatever those are cute but the way he's reacting to her and 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 trying to um uh get her to do what he wants to do is a little bit different each time and jake gyllenhaal really knows how to subtly tweak that yeah definitely uh now did you guys have any confusion about their relationship because for the first 20 minutes or so i assumed they were a married couple was that just me no she's acting really intimate with him i thought like really into him so, Dingus, did you get that impression, too, like they were already a pre-existing couple? Uh, I assumed that she had just gotten on the train and just found him because he was the same build as the guy she was looking for. Dingus, a tourist reference. Not enough people have seen the tourist to get that reference. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> uh, I really had a hard time figuring out w- what their intimacy level was supposed to be. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have guessed is this is the first time they've gone for coffee kind of a moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel I, like Dingus is right about everything tonight all of a sudden. He's right. It should have been in the capsule. <laughs> <laughs> He's totally won me over. The black guy was too villainous. Keep going. <laughs> He's three for three. But uh, that's what, what he's saying. It didn't work about it for him, too. Is like they seemed too intimate at the beginning for it to be. It was like bad writing in a, in a way. Well, it... it uh, I I don't know. Should we blame poor Michelle Monaghan? Dings has already been mean to her once tonight. Let's uh, blame the writer. He's a, we already know he's up to no good. I really like her. And I think it is a tough role because I don't know what we're supposed to think at the beginning. I don't know if I'm supposed to think she's not real or a simulation or what. Um, like at the beginning, the- in the in the first iteration, he he makes to get off the train and she doesn't try to stop him at all. He's just, I'm leaving. You know, he goes, gets off the train, and she just sits there and waits, and he comes back. Uh, and so I, I, I was kind of wondering, is, is she supposed to be real, or what are we supposed to be thinking about her? So I think it's a tougher role than it, than it looks like. So I, I think, we're, Tom, you're right. I, I might be being too mean. I just don't think they have a great chemistry. I wonder – uh, how dare you? Uh, what I was going to say <laughs> before you said that terrible mean thing, because I, th- I had great chemistry. You're terrible. Uh, I, I, I wonder if – It's if, not romantic. I wonder if it's kind of maybe supposed to be a reveal that they're not a married couple or how far along they are or aren't in their relationship because he doesn't know. Uh, and it's something that we gradually find out. So I wonder if maybe that that was intentional, that early on it's not clear. Are they dating? You know, she obviously is getting a call from an ex. That's coming up. Uh, I mean, that's that's established early on. Um, but I kind of. You know, I, there was some confusion. There was some confusion about a lot of things early on in the movie. So when I finally realized, oh, they're not even married. They just kind of like each other. Uh, I kind of appreciated that as a reveal. Yeah, but it's I think it's like they trick themselves because they want to have the last moment be their first kiss. Like, oh, 
they've been it's been so long but since they're supposed to be early on since it's going to happen over and over for the whole movie they want to establish some kind of intimacy between them so that they don't have to reset it up every time like if they barely know each other they have to redo it like every time they see each other well but it's obvious that they've been riding the same train for i think she even says a couple of months they sit there and they talk to each other he gives her advice she she kvetches about uh, i think brian is the name of her boyfriend uh, I think that's stuff that you eventually find out. It's just that early on, that level of connection between the two of them, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a married couple. Um, well, I right. think he's been riding the train. I mean, she says, you know these people better than I do because you ride this train all the time. Why is she, where has she been all that time, Dingus? Because you're uh, yeah, right. She's, everything. So tell us I where think she's, she's, she's yeah. been in Chechnya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, they're going they're, – they're, well, there, there is also – I think you're right about that too, Tom. There's, there's this great moment where he – he says to her, do, do, I, do you trust me enough to do this, that, or the other? And she just says no. And he goes, you know, you're, you're beautiful, you're fair, and you're painfully honest. I mean, that, that is a great moment where he has to and, – and, and, you know, I think I am being a little bit unfair because one of the things the movie does is it forces, um, it forces Jake Gyllenhaal to try to suss out what their relationship is. Right. And, and so that forcing her to play it so that – we can't be sure what their relationship is, is an obstacle for him. And I, but, and, you know, oh, sorry. no, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and that's kind of the pattern of the movie is we are dropped into this, you know, Sean Felcher's body or whatever with the, the rest. <laughs> this poor man gave his life to save. <laughs> but we, we don't know anything just like, just like Jake Gyllenhaal. So we have to find all that out. I mean, all this, these bits of information, including the nature of the relationship, including where the bomb is, including the fact that, uh, you, you know, his ultimate fate, you know, his ultimate identity, all this is stuff that we learn with him. Uh, what happens to Sean Felcher? I don't in know. In his life. I don't know how, see, that, that's another thing too, is I'm kind of glad they don't explain like, why is it this dude's body that right. Jake Gyllenhaal's in and not, for instance, the guy who won America's Top Comic? That That's got to be illegal, too, by the way. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie, uh, you know. That would have been, yeah. I think they do uh, say that the guy has to, the guy matches up with Jake Gyllenhaal in certain ways. Synaptic with maps synaptic is the gobbledygooks maps. that they throw out. But, I, like, do they have but a they piece? also talk about his body size and stuff like that. There is, there is sort of a touristy explanation to it. Ah, you know what? You're right, Dingus. But so, so then is uh, that his is, brain survives? Yeah, just... like is Sean Felcher's brain in a in a jar somewhere? Also, no, no, no. The, the, all of these, all of these characters are all of these presences. They, uh, their source code is available, but the only one they could send him into oh. is Sean Fenster, or Felcher, or Filcher, whatever. So they might have someone else working as the the America's top comic. Another guy is the impatient black guy on the phone. Another mm-hmm. guy is a high school kid. Actually, they don't because they they do specifically say, don't they, that, that Jake Gyllenhaal's character, that the Captain Stark, whatever his name is, that he's the only source code explorer or whatever. Don't they point out at one at one like near the end that he's the only guy? But he's the first guy. He's, the, the the program has just started. And that's what's that's another that's cool thing about this is that they they're kind of what you find out during the movie is that they're they're flying blind a little bit. She has to learn. Vera Farmiga has to learn how to deal with him. This isn't practiced. And what you think is going on is something that's, you know, beleaguered castle is his practice. We've been doing this for years. Well, this is their first run at it. He's been with them a couple of months, though, they say. 
But they've been just, waiting for a disaster. Right, right, exactly. It's just this morning that the the thing happened. Right, good point. Yeah. So by sheer chance, he's he's up and running that same day. Well, they've been working with him for a few months, it sounds like, and that whatever work they're doing with him, when he gets put in, he gets disoriented during the first few times. So we catch up with the events after he's tried to do it, you know, a few times. How long they got till the dirty bomb goes off? (laughs) And how many times does he do it? Never mind. Well, he does save the people from the dirty bomb, uh, by the way. And the train. He saves the train. Yeah, he does. Wait, before we get to no, he doesn't. Hold on, hold that thought, uh, Kelly. One, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the terrorist um, because I, I wondered <laughs> is it are they really gonna you know they even make the joke about racial profiling. So at that point, uh, you know they're either gonna have the whitest guy be the right. villain mm-hmm. or they're gonna be really smart and self aware, and it is gonna be Al Qaeda or something. Um, Seems unlikely that. And he, he was the very he was the very sort of like that's the same guy they would get to play a serial killer in a movie. Yeah. Um, or uh, someone in in the loop. Yeah, he could he could easily play one of the people behind the invasion of Iraq. In a, uh... I in his final scene, he's crying. Like that's how they, that's what they do with the villain of the piece. Which that was an interesting choice. Just like uh, Kurt Russell at the end of uh, that that Death Proof movie. <laughs> yeah, they kick his head in. I thought is that his last scene? Oh, but he's crying. They're, I don't know. They raise, they raise Snake Plissken's eye patch, and the tear runs out. Oh wait, that's. <laughs> little... It's great Did that they're... the bomb is in a uh, patriotic steamer trunk too. That's good. <laughs> that's true, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> <laughs> and and they do point out that he's disgruntled with the government. I, I think they just stopped short of calling him a tea partier. <laughs> uh, but they don't give him a southern accent. But Michelle Bachman's not a redneck. So Michelle Bachman. <laughs> who's, who's Michelle Bachman? She's the what? woman who said. Uh, she's the woman who said the founding fathers uh, ended slavery. Oh, oh, you're talking. You okay? You jumped over to to yeah. Congress people. <laughs> who did you think I meant? I thought you were, you were screwing up Michelle Monaghan's name. <laughs> he just he just left oh. the capsule, Tom. <laughs> I, I oh, was Bachman was in the seat. See, because her brain was in the other chick, and she was the double. And the, the... <laughs> I, I would like to see Michelle. I would like to see her in that role. Do you think she's hot? Since you said Sarah Palin was hot that one time. Oh, yeah. oh sure. sure. Ew. Really? You you'd bang Michelle Bachman? Didn't say that. I just think she's a she's an attractive woman. Who? Say it. Michelle say her name. Oh, Sarah Palin and uh, Christina. Who's the one that failed to run in Delaware? What was that one? She's actually a little hot. The witch, um, Christina O'Donnell. She's the hottest of the three. She's dumb, stupid hot. But the other two are just creepy. I don't know what the shock. (laughs) But I would bang the witch. Yeah, you're right. I agree with you on the third one. It would make such an awesome road movie. (laughs) Even another witch chick. I like dumb girls. Uh, Oh. I mean, okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, Kelly, one. What was that? You you almost sounded like you knew. What was that silver ball thing in in Chicago? Is that I had no idea thing? what that is. Okay. I thought, oh, he's that's part of his new universe thing. He's in an alternate reality where their technology for um, park decor is way more. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, do you know? Is that a real thing in Chicago? I think it's the. It's called the Chicago Kegel Ball. All right, stop making up words like Chicago. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> uh, they, they, 
that is sort of a moment where the film, I'm not sure what the film is trying to do because he's seen that image repeatedly. Well, he's showing us that he's seen his own reflection. I didn't get that. No, he's seen that. He's seen the specific image of that Chicago thing. Right. But but then he walks, but when he walks up to it, he sees Jake Gyllenhaal and not Sean Felcher. Right. What if she'd opened the capsule and it was Sean Felcher's torso and brain? Wait a minute. When he walks up, when he walks (laughs) up to the silver ball at the end, it's not Jake Gyllenhaal. No, it's a reverse shot. It's you seeing him and and over his shoulder seeing you still see the reflection of of the other guy in the distance. You do. Yeah, but he's holding hands with Jake Gyllenhaal in the reflection. (laughs) Oh, good point. (laughs) That's the twist. (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about the end because I have another I have another question about something that I'm I'm not sure about. So, okay, uh, it sounds like you guys were not happy with the ending. Yeah, I can I can make it work if I really force myself and go. Okay, he found this this clusterfuck of events that would actually do what they're saying it does, and it, but one of them is a kiss, which makes me go. I don't know if uh, Jacob Barnes would. So it's like go. It, it's like a Matrix thing. It's the little magical kiss. The the the. Uh, Kissus ex machina. What? What's the, there's a kiss in the Matrix that's, that creates yeah. universes? Yeah, like Trinity's kiss uh, resurrects him. Isn't there something like that? Like, isn't that the point of the Matrix that uh, love saves Neo? I that's don't know. Fifth Element. That, <laughs> but, uh, okay, so Kelly, want to explain to us then how you're making it work? Break that down for us again. Okay, if, here's how you create new universes according to Stephen Hawking and Jacob Barnes, that 12-year-old in Indiana who just disproved the Big Bang Theory because he says there's too much carbon. Okay, um, you have to die. So she pulls the plug on his brain while Jeffrey Wright's banging on the door at the same moment that you kiss the girl and that dude's doing the joke at the same moment. And also, here's the other thing, too. You have to survive the train thing because in all the other ones, he dies. In okay, all, so, he, first so time he survives the train explosion. So what the movie's suggesting is that this conflux of events creates an alternate universe? Yeah, okay. but the fact that it's related to people dying and living is, seems a little spiritual for right. me. Dingus, what's your take? How did you feel about the ending? Um, <laughs> and can I you make it, it work? I can't because I thought the movie was over with the freeze frame. I don't yeah. need all. I think all the rest of the stuff is gilding the lily, and I don't need all that crap of her hanging around and. But I refuse to believe that it ends with a lost finale purgatory thing. I can't accept that in, in a movie that I've been enjoying that much up to that point. Like, there hasn't been enough dumb in it for there to suddenly go, oh, yeah, he's just pretending he's in the thing. It's the same as Sucker Punch. He's been lobotomized, but he, he's thinking he's kissing somebody. He thinks he's kissing John Hamm. <laughs> and he's uh, Scott Glenn's there. Uh, I like the idea of an alternate reality being created. I like that that thought that 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 source code is, has succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. It creates alternate realities, and 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 that's that's what's driving him when he says, "Let me save those people." Mm-hmm. I, I like that idea, but it just feels like instead of ending with a, with a real with a real bang, it sort of keeps going. Uh, it sort of trickles out. And, and, and I feel that feels unsatisfying to me. I don't want to see her read the text message and then do all this other stuff. I just kept thinking and then walking up to the ball. I just kept thinking, come on. I mean, yeah, the text message. Uh, I mean, it's it's cute. But, well, what do you think, Tom? I mean, where do you think the movie should end? Are you fine with the ending? 
Um, yes, for a couple reasons. Let me say, so first of all, if the ending is as it's presented, then I think the idea of the movie is that at the core of reality is a single consciousness. And if that consciousness, uh, you know, the way they're, the technology they're playing with, uh, sort of furthers that idea is if, if he reaches a point with his consciousness where he can split off into a separate reality, it sort of flowers around him. And does it exist on the same level that all of our realities exist? And who's to say what the reality of our realities is anyway? You, you know, if you want to get into this whole like Descartes level of, you know, I think therefore I am is that, that reality begins with a thought. Uh, so that's one way to look at it is that it's making a philosophical statement. That's not necessarily what I have to do to make it work. And let me just float this out there. And I'm not sure if it's the case. So Vera Farmiga comes into work the next morning. We don't see a cut or anything. I mean, it, there's no title card. Like earlier that morning, we just go to Vera Farmiga coming into work. When she comes into work, let me ask a quick question. Do you know the computer nerd dude? Uh, so the, in the, in Beleaguered Castle, we see Vera Farmiga, Jeffrey Wright, and there's another actor who's got a few lines who plays like the computer nerd who has to – What is he, he primes the drivers or charges the drivers or, or whatever. You guys know who I'm was talking he the, about. Was he the Michael Bolton guy from Office Space? I have no idea. But do you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Does he show up when Vera Farmiga comes back into work? Is he on screen? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Here's then what I'm going to propose. And I've done this with other movies, and sometimes it's more forced than others. I think on the scale of 1 to 10 of being forced, this one might be maybe a (laughs) 6. Imagine maybe that what we are seeing is his dying hallucination of you know he's freeze framed this reality and from this the second of his death he's imagining what his life with michelle monaghan would be and he's furthermore justifying it by imagining a scene where the text he sent actually goes and reaches vera farmiga because everything we see in that final scene either is something that he saw through the camera as Jeffrey Wright moved it around or something he could invent like the inside of Jeffrey Wright's office, which we as an audience member never saw in there before. I don't think. Uh, so I'm that's my suggestion is that maybe he invented that last scene at the moment of his death at that freeze framed moment that he imagines stretches out into a new existence. That's about a three. That's not too hard because also that that helps Dingus too because it's like he is in the capsule and everything outside of the capsule is his imagination. Well, no, I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case. The movie definitely takes us outside of the capsule and shows us reveals like that he's only text. We don't know he doesn't know that. That could be him imagining that. I don't think so because if if the movie wanted to take place from his perspective from the perspective perspective of his consciousness, I think that would be a significant reveal when he understands that he's not reaching her on any level other than text. I mean, I think as the audience, we are shown the two separate realities: what he perceives and then what exists in the real world. But however, imagine that that little button where Vera Farmiga receives the text is just an invention that he's got in his head. That's why I don't think we see that computer nerd. He doesn't know who that dude is. He's never seen that dude on the camera. He's only seen the camera swung around when Jeffrey Wright you know, pulls it around to talk into it. He's only seen a few people in the background. He's seen that office. Um, 
but so so maybe this is just part of this con- this construct that he creates at his dying moment to imagine that he's saved these people and that he is now moved into a separate life that he has he's the one bringing up to Vera Farmiga the idea of parallel realities this is obviously what he wants what he's hoping for so maybe this is just a, a you know at his dying moment this is his hope his his wish his desire for what's going to happen i like it I think it's well thought out. Uh, Don't know if it'll it's, work. But the only thing about it is, like, do things like like dying hallucinations in movies with unreliable narrators, like Taxi Driver, are one thing. But this movie's dealing with physic, physics and stuff. So I would say he doesn't know enough about physics as a helicopter pilot to... Have a dying conversation. I don't know what I'm saying. Well, he brings I this up to job. Vera Farmiga. He's the one who actually introduces the concept, Kelly Wand. He's the one who says to her, do you believe in parallel realities? His character, his consciousness, this helicopter pilot is the guy who brings up to the the, peop- the woman running this, partly running this program, this idea of parallel realities, and she shoots it down. It's not something that she's considered. It's not something that's part of the program. It's kind of something that he introduces into the mix all on his own. Well, I also like, and maybe this is dumb, but like when he asks uh, Michelle Monaghan, oh, do you believe in fate? She's all more of a dumb luck kind of gal. That means that it's his brain telling him, oh, you just got dumb and lucky, you made a new universe, even though you didn't know how, but you did something even the physicist guy couldn't do. Well, as she would have reinforced his fate thing if she was a figment. Um, well, maybe I, I also if I'm wrong about not seeing about seeing Sean Felcher in the the ball because I really and did it all think, falls apart. <laughs> it does because I really did think that it was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in the ball. So I I could be wrong about that. And it it's something that I only occurred to me afterwards when this was happening in the movie. By the way, I was totally like, oh, f you, movie that you had to have your stupid <laughs> happy ending. Screw yeah. you. And it was so it was only in retrospect where I'm trying to think. Wait a minute, did I see what I thought I saw? Did I not see? What I thought. So I, I don't it's know. It's at least open to interpretation, which puts it way ahead of the Lost finale. <laughs> Dingus, does any of that work for you? Where, where do you fall on this? Am I am I pushing it too hard? Yeah, I think you are. All right. Um, I think uh, if you're just going to go on, we're not seeing another character that he couldn't have invented. Uh, there's another character in Jeffrey Wright's office that that Jeffrey Wright. But we've never seen him before, though. That's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. Is we, the movie. Yeah. No, no, hold on. What I'm saying is the movie has never shown that guy in the reality that it's been sharing with us. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal knows that he has saved people from a terrorist act, so he could easily imagine some dude debriefing, you know, uh, J- uh, Jeffrey Wright saying saying that stuff. You know, as as independent watchers of events, we don't know who that dude is. But I think in this kind of a movie, there's movie language that the filmmaker can use to convey what you're talking about. Uh, that, the, that, you know, cuts between the, the little torso in a box, those types of things that would give us a sense of, oh, okay, that's where we're going. And I, I don't think this movie really is, this script anyway, is, is endeavoring to be that subtle. I like the idea, but, uh, I don't think it's it's going for that. You're basically saying that 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 Doug Jones is too dumb for that. Doug Jones, Duncan Jones, <laughs> his Duncan brother, Jones. his brother Doug collaborates with him a lot. It's like John and Chris Nolan, you know. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, do you know who was the father's voice in the phone call? Uh, Sam Rockwell. What? Sam Rockwell. I, do I don't know. Is this Kelly Wand, right? Is he? <laughs> 
No, but uh, Kelly Wand mentioned something uh, related to this actor in his uh, Wanda. Gene Wilder. When he Richard mentioned, Fox. just keep saying names, Kelly. I'll, I'll, when you're done saying names, I'll talk. <laughs> is it Dingus? I'm going to make a guess because this guy has appeared recently at the end of another movie, and he is in a famously fantastic phone call in another movie. Is it John Hamm? It is not John Hamm, but Kelly Wand mentioned something called Quantum Leap. Scott oh, Bakula? It's not Scott Dean Bakula. Stockwell. Dean Stockwell? It is, it is indeed Scott Bakula. That's oh. weird. That's a little weird. What? Really? How do you know that? <laughs> Don't make shit up. Because I watch credits. <laughs> wow, Scott Bakula. All right. And Scott Bakula was the that's dude so in Quantum weird. Leap? Yeah, that's true. But I can't believe that's such a strange, interesting. Hmm. I will hand it to uh, Doug Jones and his brother Duncan. Uh, that's that's a fantastic little cameo bit, just like having Matt Barry in Moon. I'm not sure I understand why Matt Barry had that little part in Moon. I love that he did. So maybe there was an inside joke there. But that's that's hats off to you, Doug and Duncan. Well played on the Scott. Maybe Batman. source code set in the Quantum Leap universe. It's fan fiction. And it's the same character. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary, getting down with three P. Everybody loves. Uh, what? <laughs> I was gonna do some sex jokes for that. <laughs> that was a good one. We never got to the the. the, the... The major in joke between Moon and uh, and Source Code, but you'll have to find that in the special features of the podcast. Oh wait, what tell me. Joke? Yeah, I don't want to wait. What's the in joke. Uh, the uh, major in joke between the two films is the mm-hmm. uh, Michelle's ringtone and Sam's alarm clock. Same song. Ah, nice. I'm one and only. What's- but wait, it was it was oh. that that song made sense in Moon because it was he's you know. Ah, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in Source Code, I don't know what that those lyrics it's were. because it's an in joke, right? Well, because it's not one and only because he's going through the same thing over and over. Okay. Right. And as soon as I heard that, I went, uh oh. But it, it turns it's okay. All right. Moon's better, but Source Code's good, right? Is that enough to say? I That's tell you your thumbnail. Yeah. yeah, your your tagline is was fine. Your your tagline says it all. I think. Yeah. God, Moon was good. I'm totally still buzzing from it. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt after watching it, buzzing. Kelly, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Oh, well, eh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is dumb. I shouldn't be allowed to pick topics anymore. And now I have to write notes. Oh, God, what a nightmare. I mean, okay, oh, uh, yeah, anyway. So three best uses of CG, or three least odious, as you put it in an email, Tom. But uh, I think we all equally hate CG. In general, like, it's totally lame. It's ruined movies, I would say. <laughs> I, it's, I thought that uh, during Sucker Punch and the fight on the train, I was like, I fucking hate CG. I never want to see CG again. It's like the poor man's 3D. You heard me. And then, right. the, and the, but the first, the, the first time I remember hating CG was when in the Get Smart movie when they had the cone of silence. Did you guys see it? They had like a CG <laughs> cone of silence. <laughs> the whole point of that joke on the TV show was it was a cheap plastic piece of shit kind of thing that never worked. And then they made it into this awesome. Like they don't realize it's not as funny if you spend. Never mind. 
So I'm assuming Cheap. that Get Smart did not make your three best uses of CG. It inspired the topic, but didn't make my list. All right. But I also had to change my list tonight. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Dingus, you are introducing next week's 3x3, so you have to go first. Uh, so what do you got for us? What's your third? Well, crap. Now, now I want to j- mess with my order, because Kelly's going to take my number one, jerk. He might. Oh, yeah. Well, it's my number one. So my number three it. is um, – I'll give you guys a quote. How about that? Yes, awesome. Uh, we can do that ourselves. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of me. All right. Uh, oh, oh, uh, 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 Dead Ringers. No, but you're on the right track. Uh, be multi lo- multiplicity with Michael uh, with uh, Batman. Jeez. What's that guy? Keaton. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's twins, but it's from last year. Oh, uh, Social Network. Yes, Social Network. Um, I was pretty hard on this film. Uh, I was harsh about um, some of the CG in Social Network that I thought was unnecessary and stupid. The, namely, the the breath, the cold breath. Outside of uh, Jewish Caribbean festival night, um, I thought it was unnecessary and it looked fake and stupid. Uh, but I didn't realize till well after seeing Social Network that the Winklevi uh, twins uh, are just one guy. Well, no, you know, that's that's not true. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's only one actor playing those two dudes. Yeah. Well, that is it, such a lie. Wait a minute. Hold I, on. Hold on. Tom, don't be don't be a fool. You're a fool. Where are you guys getting was, this information? That was not. I knew that. No, everyone said. Everyone was. It was, it was reported everywhere. Like, oh, dude, those. Can you believe it? No, you guys are lying. Are you serious? <laughs> it's an awesome choice. It was kind of the best thing about that movie. Do the credits two. even show that? Like in the credits, it lists as like John and Earl Winklevoss. Like, yeah. The same name. Look it up, bitch. How do you know that it's not actually twins and their parents gave them the same name? Because that actor has gotten, gotten a lot of press because he was so funny as twins in that role. Damn. I'm going to change all mine now. Man, I, I have no idea. Dingus wins. I don't want That's exactly what happened to me. I was talking to my friend. Uh, I think it was my friend Renee. Well, after the movie, we were talking about the movie and hashing it out. And she was, and I was talking about, um, I don't know, something having to do with the film. And she, she mentioned this fact about the movie. And it blew me away because the vocal performances are so different. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's one guy, but it's, it, if you look at a lot of the, um, the how they made it type of stuff, it's really kind of fascinating, actually, and a little bit sad, too, because uh, they, they looked and they looked and they looked for uh, th- these, you know, well-built, huge Olympic rowing twins that they thought, well, maybe we can find guys like that who can act and they couldn't. So they got this guy named Army Hammer, who is uh, who could who who is built like those guys should be built, and he also has sort of their their upper class kind of thing because he's from the Army Hammer uh, family, and and so they got him, and they got a model named um, Josh Pence, I think is his name, to play the other twin constantly, and so so these two guys would be in scenes together, and at first. They they thought, well, we could just make them fraternal twins because we can't find identical twins. And then David Fincher said, no, no, we're just going to CG this. And so they, they would constantly do the scenes as each other, and then they would swap, and then they, the, uh, they would do the scene the other way, and they would make sure that the the heights were right, and then they, they CG'd it so that um, Army Hammer's face appeared on Josh Pence's body. And it's 
such incredible CG. I, I, I'm not sure it's, it's, it rises above the level of, hey, look what we can do. Um, but it's, it's so phenomenal because I had no idea it was going on. Um, and, and so I have to choose this one because it, it totally fooled me. That is almost, Dingus, as good as what he did in that Benjamin Button movie. Did you see that? Because Brad Pitt ages backwards, you see? What? Yeah. Who's he in this? Who's the he in you? This is what you just said. That's almost as good as what he does. Who's he? Uh, didn't David Fincher do the Benjamin Button movie? Oh, yeah, you're yes. right. Yes. I didn't see it. Yeah. So, you're right. I'm done. I can't believe that. I cannot believe that. That's still blowing my mind. I'm going to change I'm going to change all three of mine now to social network. Is that okay? <laughs> Go ahead. Wow. Are you sure you guys aren't doing a prank? You're not, like, punking me? Um, you know, I'm going to put a link to one of the really cool videos of of how they did some of the special effects because there there's a there's a moment where there's this weird gigantic orb that they, that they have to go into in order to get the motion capture right and it really does look like some sort of science fiction thing and in fact Army Hammer says when I go in there is that going to send me into another time mm. another dimension or something it's it's really Source cool count. looking uh, but yeah they really they really work their asses off wow. right. by the way one of them works on the moon. Huh. All right, my number three is uh, I'm I, I hate this topic too. By the way, uh, Kelly Wand, you're fired. That's why I picked it, only to irritate you. But then it backfired because then I hated it. You irritated yourself, my Yeah, right. Uh, I'm just gonna pick. So I don't I don't even what Dingus said. That's cool and stuff. But I'm like, what? Just get. I mean, it it worked out fine. But just get two good actors or do. So the stuff with Jeremy Irons, like in Dead Ringers, though, that wasn't. That was like pre-CG. Those were those were just like composite photography tricks, right? That's a computer. Now oh, whatever. You guys are no help. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I will have something to say about this in two choices. Huh. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I so the technique though, I I like CG when it just lets me enjoy things that the movie wants to do without getting in the way. So yes. this this has been done in numerous movies, but I'm just going to hold up as an example the first time where I knew about it being done. Uh, and it was a movie that was shot with a handheld camera, uh, actually a couple of handheld cameras, and the, the director wanted it very much to have that look. He was very meticulous about the camera work in the movie, and because of that, he was constantly having one of the cameras in the view of another camera or because the camera was moving around so much, the boom would constantly get in the shot, but he would just CG that out. And this movie I saw maybe, I guess it's like seven years old, saw it at Sundance and during the Q&A, he explained how they could do this with CG and it blew my mind because the movie, the, the camera work in the movie is so distinctive. And it was Gaspar Noe talking about Irreversible uh, and how he could just do whatever he wanted with these two camera crews. And if the camera got in the way, that was okay. They would just erase it out. Uh, and I even remember CG as far back as Terminator 2, where Cameron would talk about, you know, when Arnold Schwarzenegger rides the motorcycle into the L.A. River in a big jump, they've just got big old fat wires stuck on him, and they're lowering him down there while he's on the motorcycle, and they just CG out the wires. But I couldn't care less about doing it to make stunt work look better, whatever. It's just awesome to me that Gaspar Noe can shoot Irreversible the way he wants to, and just and just let it be completely fluid and organic and just erase stuff that gets in the frame that shouldn't be there. So that's my number three choice is irreversible. That's great. It's a shame that Ridley Scott didn't have that available for Gladiator. <laughs> he just Wait, could, which 
he couldn't be bothered. You know, when the grip walks through the frame or when the, the chariot upends and you can see the little compressed air canister in the floor of it. Uh. <laughs> Which use of it in Irreversible, since I have to write this somehow? Well, the, in, throughout the movie, because of the way Gaspar Noe was shooting, he was constantly... Use... Pardon? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the topic's best use of it, so you have to, like, pick something that he took out. As I was saying, well, this is a, actually an, an excellent example of almost a negative use of it. I actually really love this because it, it's enabling him to be more free as a filmmaker. And he says, I can just use CG as a pencil eraser. Exactly. The, the use to just take out to shoot the movie how he wants and not worry about framing out booms and the other camera crew. You know, the same way Cameron just erased the bracket, the, the braces that lowered Schwarzenegger into the L.A. River. Uh, he just does this to erase any time that one of the camera crews gets in the way. And by the way, I, I don't. Here's another example. I, I don't think it's stealing anything f- from one of you guys. But when uh, Danny Boyle shot 28 Days Later, it wasn't always on an abandoned street. Uh, they, there's in the making mm. of footage. Yeah. There, there are foot. There's bits of Killian Murphy walking around isolated London, and there's traffic in the background and people walking around, and they just erase that stuff out. Uh, you, you know, uh, so I really appreciate when CG is used to let a film filmmaker do what he wants without necessarily calling attention to the CG to erase stuff. And Irreversible is the first time I had really heard of that being done uh, for such a creative endeavor. That's why you love Forrest Gump so much, too, isn't it? Mm. Oh, well, he also related to the character, except for his wait, war heroism. Wait. The way they take out Gary Sinise's leg. Yes, oh, that's that's my number one, by the way. Thanks for... Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> my number one's the ping pong. Okay, right, what's your number three? <laughs> Wait, why didn't... Make the ping pong to... is, a, is a real thing that a character couldn't fake, Kelly Wan. Stop it. <laughs> oh, wait, I thought that was the name of the Vietnamese character. <laughs> oh. Why? Uh, yeah, racist. Wait, why didn't McGee erase the light guy from Christian Bale's eye line when they were shooting Terminator. And then... Can you give us a line from that, Kelly Wand? Your training did not happen in Afghanistan. It sounded like you were constipated more than angry. (laughs) That's my normal voice. That's my voice, like, and when I'm not doing a podcast. (laughs) All right, so Kelly Wand, what is your third... Least odious example of CG. Well, my number three is because uh, in that movie, <laughs> it's when they added the silhouettes to Eyes Wide Shut for the orgy because um, naked body is really offensive to me. And so they digitally added on like silhouettes of people wearing capes so I couldn't see them having sex. Well, you know what? That movie wouldn't have been released. It would have had an NC-17, and it never would have come to a theater near you. So how do you feel about that? Oh, you mean like Requiem for a Dream didn't come to a theater near me? <laughs> um, no, that's I'm just joshing you guys. My actual number three involves nudity, CG nudity. It's uh, the blue dick in Watchmen. Um, because I thought wait, it Wait would... a minute. Did you bring up a movie that wasn't your... Never go what? Yeah, uh-huh. save it for the runners-up, Kelly. We've you always have time. two for every category. Yeah, we've got time to bring up runners-up afterwards. So what is well, your number three? Watchmen, Blue Dick. All right. But I want to 
just admit that just in the interest of full disclosure that I was the penis model in for that character. Um, not cause it was the right size cause it wasn't, although it was really cold that day, but I just happened to have a blue one anyway, which I think is how I got the part plus nepotism. And when I got into the orb, it was really cold. <laughs> so I know what Winkle Voss is talking about. You know what I'm saying? Mr. Baking soda over here. Anyway, so I, I actually did not know this. So it, it's not Billy Crudup did not do like the full Monty in Watchmen. What? Billy Crudup was not actually naked in the Watchmen. I did not. I did not know that this. That no, I was. But they used his bald head and his his pure white eyes. All right. And I was the uh, stunt penis for it. But um, you know, I also thought it was really good characterization because. And also, too, I just <laughs> whenever I saw the blue penis in Watchmen, not only was I enjoying that I was watching it like surrounded by audience of Midwesterners, but also that it was like they had to watch it to make it like on the computers for like months at a time, probably like entire flotillas of dudes and screens, Warner Brothers. And so you were fascinated by the prospect of these. <laughs> These these people at Warner Brothers having to stare at a blue penis for months on Yeah, end. yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Did you feel that way about uh, the people working on the end of Boogie Nights? No, that's a prosthetic. No, that was CG. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Do you know what CG is? I'm not convinced. Yeah, it's where something isn't real. It's What's where it? where's, it's where something is faked. Oh, like a hand gesture in Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, what is your number two favorite example of CG in a movie? All right, this is this is this is pretty obvious and bog standard. It's it's uh, oh here here's a quote for you guys. See if you can get this. Two twenty. Are these auto erotica cars? The car. Christine. Uh, maximum overdrive. Smokey and the Bandit three. Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run 2. Ah, you win. Speed bumps. <laughs> Kelly, uh, uh, moving violations. I do not know what that is. I don't think I've seen Police it. Police Academy. Uh, this is a little movie from 1993 called Jurassic Park. Ugh. Wait, what's the quote again? Are these auto-erotica? Mm. Who the fuck is that? Is that, yeah, is that, is that like, is that the clueless lawyer's question about the dinosaurs or something? It's, Are those last the, words on the toilet before they get? It's to the clueless lawyer's question when they're going through the ride when they first see the scientists, and he's trying to ask if they're if they're animatronic. Uh, animatronic. Right? I, yeah, I get it. He joke. asks if they're auto erotica. <laughs> isn't that funny? Um, it's, yeah, that's pretty it, fun. Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun? Uh, Dingus, is that directly from Michael Crichton, or did the screenwriters of Jurassic Park come up with that joke? <laughs> Wait, so that I line was computer part of their imp- It was improv improvisation. <laughs> Okay, Jonathan Price improvised that line as the lawyer in Jurassic Park. Jonathan, <laughs> he does have a Jonathan Price kind of look to him, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. That's All right, well, explain Dingus why you would pick this movie. Which uh, this scene? Is, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose specifically the uh, the T Rex attack. Now, um, I've watched a lot of the the special features about the CG in this movie, and and. It was really exciting to me at the time. I mean, I remember waiting out in the rain in New York City and, and going to see the movie and opening night and all this stuff. And 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 the way this movie, um, the way it combines uh, using models from I think Stan Winston. Now that I'm oh, yeah. some, 
know. And and CG was just groundbreaking at the time. And still, you know, there are things about Jurassic Park that don't really hold up for me. Uh, I don't think the performances are particularly good. And and there's some of this some of the CG early on with the Brachiosaurus when they first see the Brachiosaurus that that you see the way it's walking. It's very clearly CG. It, it it's not that great, but. But that T-Rex attack is so good. It's still so good. And, and they use practical models. I mean, a big 9,000 pound model that gets soaked in the rain. But then the, uh, the ILM guys have to, or Cinecide, no, no, it's ILM guys who, who have to, to make those attacks look real as well. And the way that, that dinosaur moves and the way the water splashes when he's walking, uh, a lot of that is CG, and I think this is one of those first examples, and this comes after um, after Abyss and Terminator 2, I think, where, where you really start to see how, how a, an animal can move and interact with other characters in a powerful way using, using CG. And uh, it's just, it, watching it again, watching that T-Rex attack again, uh, it's just, it's still so exciting. It's so well done. And, and I can't see where it goes back and forth between model and CG. Um, so while it, it may be sort of a standard thing to choose, I, I really just really like that. And I, I do like Tom's sort of subversive thing of, of using something that erases instead. That's a really cool idea, but, but I'm going to have to use this one because it's, it's just, ah, it's great. Well, it was also, I mean, I, it, part of the advantage of the CG specifically during the T-Rex attack is that it's nighttime and it's in the rain. Uh, I I think by making it an intentionally murky setting, although, you know, you see the velociraptors very clearly once they get in the kitchen and whatnot. Um, But I think and I don't even recall the big brachiosauruses looking bad. I haven't seen it in a while. What about the part where one's sick and they're like she's like feeling it? Isn't one of the, well, there are, it's a model. The, the, yeah, the Triceratops is a model. There's a lot of practical yeah. stuff, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that I just that that was probably as far as like one of those oh wow moments when you go see a movie. I mean, I was an adult when it came out, but that was on par with Star Wars. I mean, I remember being blown away by Jurassic Park and the CG in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's a shame that parts of the movie aren't better. But uh, that's fantastic CG, and that, that's why it's my number one pick, actually. Oh, uh, sorry. That, that, that's fair enough. Uh, another cool thing, too, Dingus, about the, the T-Rex attack, uh, we've seen plenty of movies where you have somebody fighting a dragon. Most recently, we saw Sucker Punch. I think there was a dragon fight in Alice. Dragon fights are so hard to do because the dragon fight really shouldn't take that long. The dragon just bites someone in half or breathes fire on him, and it's over. You know, you have something that big against a normal-sized person, and if the normal-sized person doesn't do some gymnastics and quickly find the dragon's glowing red weak point, there's not going to be much of a fight there. And I think Jurassic Park was one of the, the first, eh, maybe only, I'm sure there's some other examples, but one of the first movies, though, to really show what a dragon fight would be like. It's not a fight. You run away from it, and you have to get very lucky with things like an intervening plate of glass or an upside-down car and barely getting out of its way. And that's what's so amazing about that T-Rex attack is it's the action – it's Spielberg as a great action director finally appreciating what it would be like if a dude actually went up against a dragon, something that big and that that powerful. Uh, Yeah, there is a sense of wonder too about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what it was like to be, like, that's how it felt to be in the jungle and, like, be the prey of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, when when it, Sam Neill steps out of the, uh, the Humvee or the Ford Explorer and he waves that flare for the first time and the, and the 
and the T-Rex turns and looks at him. There's just this great moment for me where I, I think, th- here's this guy coming face to face with what he has been researching all these years and realizing, holy shit, th- there is nothing I can do as, as a human against this thing. I mean, it's this great moment of the mashup of time and this guy particularly having to say, oh, my. I mean, it's just this great is this great shot over his over from his back of the T-Rex. It's just I just love philosophically what's going on in his head. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I just really dig on that. He has and, to use all the research he's learned and brushing bones off for decades to survive the next two minutes. Uh, will it's Steven improbable. Spielberg? Will Steven Spielberg ever put children in that kind of peril again? I'd like to think so. I mean, Lost World had the it, Lost World had a couple good parts too. Was that the one where the girl Jim Cotted the Velociraptor? Yeah, that part was lame. But the yeah. first thing in the um, where they're in the RV that's going over the cliff and the oh, glass yeah. is cracking under Julianne Moore. That part's pretty cool. That's great. And it and the the poor guy who saves them gets eaten, but there's no children there. Yeah. Also, Lost World, a lot of people get fucked up in this movie. Like a lot of people die. A lot of people get eaten. Oh, and Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they get they get just wiped out, and so I kind of liked that. It's but specifically, really like like Jurassic Park recalled Spielberg, you know, killing a fourteen year old boy in Jaws. You know, here are these two kids; they don't get killed, but that, that that's a scary scene. Uh, I don't, and you know, and it's the threat. He'll come back to it. Would that get a PG thirteen? Wait, Jaws? No, uh, the T Rex attack. Like, it did get a PG thirteen. It was would after it, PG. Would it today? Uh, yeah, because nobody would, dies. It wouldn't have the to kids be watered down, like, the, the scene of that, that, that intensity. I don't, I don't know. You're probably right, yeah. Jaws got a PG, and a kid gets uh, eaten up, and... That was 1976, though. And he didn't have kids yet. But Spielberg's going to get older, and then he's maybe become... He'll have a bit phase. <laughs> awesome. he'll, actually, he'll do, like, his best action in 20 years from now, like, fuck you, I still got it, and he'll make Jurassic Park 5. I can't wait. He'll be the you're... sickest movie ever made <laughs> you're right about the intensity of that scene though tom uh, with with because i watched it again yeah. tonight and watching that dinosaur come down through the glass and just keep chomping at them well and the kids are and, so traumatized i mean they play yeah. up i mean they it's you know there's nothing there's no punches pulled i mean aside yeah. from the fact that they survive it feels entirely plausible that they one barely of them get killed yeah. yeah they're in mortal peril and they know it and they act like it and the adults have no clue what to do either. And they're just like watching in the car because they're like, look, if we go out there, we're fucked. And they're, it's like, it's a great scene. And the one adult <laughs> abandons them and she says, he left us. I mean, mm-hmm. it's this great moment of, well, it's not great if you're a parent, but it's, it's, it's a really powerful moment. And so I think your point is well taken, Tom. I don't know if you'll do that. We know he uh, wouldn't have. Where are those two kids these days, by the way? They're still following Sam Neill around and asking him questions and bothering him as he keeps changing cars. And then they yeah, has, have, have those kids done anything else? Like, are they, they're probably like Jake Lloyd's age now. They're all grown up. And are they that doing boy anything? was in a lot of movies, wasn't he? I don't know. Wasn't that wasn't that kid in Kidco? That thing where the kids are make the manure company. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, even kids movies used to be better. <laughs> I feel bad for today's kids. Transformers is like all they get. That's sad. Poor kids. <laughs> hey, that's my number two. Oh, yeah. There's no CG <laughs> in that. What is your number two, Tom, now that you bring that up? My number two is another example of uh, 
my, my mind was blown, not to the degree of what you were telling me about social network dingus, but after seeing this movie, I, I was convinced that this was all practical. I love this scene in this movie, and I love how present the lead actor is during this scene. And I thought it was some just great, canny, practical work. Uh, and I was a little disappointed to find out that a lot of it was CG, but I had no idea for the longest time. I'd seen the movie many, many times. Uh, my favorite car chase of all time is the ending of Born Supremacy. You know, I've had this conversation many times. Some people love Bullet. Everybody brings up Ronin, you know, whatever, big deal. Uh, Road <laughs> Warrior's a big one. Car chases, I'm a huge fan of car chases, and I think the best car chase ever shot when you consider that a huge part of a car chase is the context, the, the choreography, the stakes, you know, how much characters involved in the car chase. Born Supremacy's car chase fulfills all, everything a car chase needs to do, and it does it wonderfully. And it looks like Matt Damon is flat, is, is like square in the middle of all this action right there. Uh, and a lot of those shots were CG, and I had no idea. Uh, what shots are CG? What are you talking about? A lot of the stuff shot where you're from inside of his little car where you see the stuff outside the car is CG. What? That's the fact. Yeah, I know. How about that? One of the great things about that scene is how you feel like you're in the car with him. Yeah, it's all visceral. Oh, it's, well, that's what Tom's saying. That's Tom saying it's like that's what makes it great CG is it doesn't feel – it all feels I don't, That's not right. No, it's just as you don't believe me about the Winkle Vosses, I don't believe. All right. Well, look it up. See, like for instance, you see something like we talked about uh, last week, the car wreck scene in uh, uh, Adaptation where obviously there's a lot of CG because it's obviously implausible that there's really going to be actors sitting in a car that gets sideswiped by a truck and you see them being jerked around. But in Born Supremacy – you know, it doesn't – you watch it, and it all seems just this side of plausible, uh, and it's CG. Um, wow. That's a great one. Damn. What? And it's kind of it's kind of sad. It's like, oh, that that didn't really happen. <laughs> it was fake. <laughs> you know, that that's funny because I totally get what you're saying. It, I get the tone in your voice on this because I remember um, – I don't know what we were talking about. It might have been Wanted – where I was, I realized like, oh, there's some great car stuff in that. You know, like it, those are, it's just a cartoon. That stuff is all cartoon, and it has no stakes for me. So I, I can't, I, I don't buy any of that. And, and you've got this thing about these of car chases that if they're CG'd or animated or whatever, it just doesn't work. You know, yeah, that that does. I, I sort of feel because I've definitely said that before, like in the Fast and the Furious movies where they're just like doing CG cars and I couldn't care yes. less. Uh, and yet I was so sold on Born Supremacy, partly because Paul Greengrass knew enough to make it look practical. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so it totally. Right. Good point. And also, too, it's like it's a little ass car. Like it's not a it's not a car chase car. So it's like the character is having to make do with this fucking little tiny ass Honda. Well, like so that, any any right. good car chase, what character is in what car matters. Uh, right. So, yes. And the physics matter. The, the differences in the physics. It's, that's that's the theme of all these choices so far is like the size of everything. Like the transverse is like that fucking big. Matt Damon's car is that small. Billy Crudup's blue penis is that big. <laughs> and that blue. <laughs> and that penis. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite use of CG in a thriller or otherwise movie i have to confess something that actually wasn't my penis in watchman it was your head no they were my balls though okay my number two is uh only number two 
Jesus, it's taking forever. All right, so don't worry, it's quick. Uh, my number two is uh, the opening credits of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which um, <laughs> shows a sinister jack-o'-lantern uh, graphic being made on a trash 80 screen while sinister music plays, and each time like a line or a pixel appears on the screen, some John Carpenter music plays. So it's like it taps into our fears of pixels. That's my number two. Okay. Okay, one. Do you do you know what CG means? <laughs> I don't, and that's why I picked this one because I go, that's definitely computer. There's no way that the Halloween three credits were not made without a computer. Ergo, and it also the movie taps into our fears of computers, like snakes coming out of our uh, motherboards. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, that's always stuck with me because uh, my friend had a mouse living in his computer, and I thought, oh, so if a snake came out. He wouldn't starve. Ah, Tom's cat. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned a mouse. He's all up in that. That's right. Yeah, the second I said mouse, that's so cute. Sorry, see, people... CG mouse. <laughs> see, I got cats, so people listen to podcasts think they're hearing my cat, and they like laugh at me, like, "Oh, your cat." <laughs> no, it's Tom's. They're all, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> Tom's too glamorous and cool and a player. He wouldn't have cats. I just got the one. Uh, he, he's the one who's gla- glamorous and cool and a player. By the way, hmm. I like Dingus, you. What is your number one use of CG in a movie, Dingus? All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote, and you're, neither of you are going to get this. Quote. I'm going to get this one. Are you ready? Yep. I never get it. Gertie, is there someone in the room with us? <laughs> Ow! I already did that with Social Network. You're just, you're just, uh, Dingus. What? All right, explain yourself. <laughs> Explain why Moon is your number one. Uh, Moon is my number one. It's a movie from 2009. It was directed by someone named, hold on, Doug Jones. Now, wait a minute. Hold um, on. Hold on one second. So, oh, the cake maker? We're, we're in a spoiler-free area. Like, I don't, I, I kind of feel bad talking about how CG is used in Moon. Yeah. I'm, I won't go into it. Okay. Um, but let me, let me say this. Um, Make a euphemism that no one will know what we're talking about. That'll be fun to listen to. Call them uh, Cujo's. Uh, I think CG is used in Moon to enhance character and to support an incredible performance. Now that uh, Sam Rockwell's performance in in 2009 in, in Moon was my favorite performance of that year. And um, sometimes CG can be a hindrance, but CG here was used to support his performance and it was difficult for them to do it. Uh, now, now, one of the things that's cool about Moon is that there's a there's a lot of practical effects too. There's a lot of models that are used, yeah, yeah, and and that is something that that I think when we left Moon, I think I saw it with you, Tom, that we really liked about it. And really, you could really feel that, especially about the Moon Rovers and stuff like that. Uh, but but if you watch, if, and again, I'll put I'll put a link to the to a video about this as well. Uh, one of the things that, that Duncan Jones had to do was was find ways to to marry using models and using CG. So uh, I won't talk about the, the thing that I like most about the CG, which is which is the character driven stuff. But but there's there's a moment where there, where there's a crash uh, that's very important, even. and this this uses largely models. But but there's something that happens that's kind of like what you were talking about, Tom, with Born Supremacy. Where at the beginning of uh, driving on the rover, you see outside 
the landscape and the stars and and that's largely cg and then after the crash you see rocks falling and that's cg as well and interspersed with that is is using models and pulling them along with fish line and racing that kind of stuff um so that in addition to the character stuff uh makes moon one of them well my most powerful use of cg because I, i can't see any of that stuff and I don't care because I'm lost in the performance and the CG does not get in the way with, of that, but it enhances it. And, and that's what I most appreciate about how a director can use uh, um, computer-generated graphics right. or special effects. All right. Well, my number one we know is Jurassic Park. So that leaves you, Kelly Wand. What is your – this was obvious. This is your topic, so therefore it obviously means a lot to you. So your number one must be hugely important. What is your number one favorite use of CG in a movie? It's the iconic uh... – all right, wait. I'll do a quote. That's more interesting. <laughs> uh, something James Bond would say. Okay. Give up. Cannibal okay, give, you, give you another hint. It's a James Bond movie. <laughs> uh, Although Roger Moore was in Cannibal Run, wasn't he? Ah, good point. Everybody was in that. Uh, let's see. Everybody so, was anyone. So it's something with Roger Moore. No, I no, it's not. That's your other hint. I give up. What, what James Bond movie? I guess they've all. Oh, was it? Uh, was it Daniel Craig going through the skylight no. in uh, Quantum of Solace? No. All right. Don't, don't spoil the ending of that for me. I'm only an hour into it. <laughs> well, not, what was the last one? Not Quantum of. Oh, it was Quantum of Solace, wasn't it? All right, it was a Connery one. That's your last hint. There's no CG. Oh, good lord. Oh, is there? Wait. Oh, oh uh, the um, Last Crusade. Oh. <laughs> I give up, Kelly Wand. What, 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 what James? Did listeners give up. <laughs> what, what James Bond movie with Sean Connery has CG? Uh, remember in Never Say Never Again when they play that video game? Uh, <laughs> the joystick. one that shocks. Uh, the one that shocks him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the shocking joystick, and James Bond plays as Russia, and it's like, it's like Missile Command. They play like 3D Missile Command against each other, and James Bond beats Klaus Maria von Boundary Rounds. <laughs> he's like the better video gamer uh, take that just like Ian Fleming originally envisioned he was awesome at video games you, you so, griefed your own list Kelly Wand yeah I hated it alright uh, runners up what do you guys have anything Did, I got I got Andy Serkis getting his head eaten in King Kong I thought that was awesome because <laughs> the sound do you remember what I'm talking about? By oh, the yeah, bug. the bug. Sure, absolutely. That that, oh, that was actually a great... Uh, I loved the CG in King Kong because of yeah. how expressive King Kong was, but that, that, that nightmarish bug scene was pretty vivid. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of stupid, too, at the same time, because they're guns. I don't know. Well, that sort of thing, though, like doesn't impress... I mean, it looks fine, but I'm, I'm not... That's what you use CG for. I mean, right. that kind of CG is a dime a dozen, and it. I'm like, fine, whatever, cool, yeah. It looks good, but... I, I don't really get impressed by that kind of CG. I didn't feel that way until I saw the guy get his head eaten. But I liked the scene. I liked the scene, but I wouldn't say the CG was anything special. How about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. But of all the things to get your head eaten by, that's like, I'd yes. like, wouldn't you rather get eaten by a shark than that thing? Because you got to smell the inside of it. I don't know. Anyway, Starship Troopers, the part with the bugs. Kelly, when you're just talking about. CG scenes where you like the part that ha- where you like what happened. <laughs> That's what the list is. 
You guys are picking twins and clones and shit. And car chases. That's cheating. I didn't say car chase. <laughs> also, uh, Hollow Man raping Rona Mitra in Hollow Man. And uh, Sky Captain, that part with the ship. And also the Close Encounters air traffic controllers, because that was kind of a computer. Okay, that's my list. <laughs> Um, there's the, uh, as someone who watches a lot of horror movies, I hate this now because it's so cheap, but I, this is the last time that it really freaked me out and it worked for me where you, you take a normal person's face and you do creepy, scary CG stuff to it to make them look like, like all demony. Um, there's a, there's a not very good horror movie. Actually, you know what? It, I kind of recommend it. There's a horror movie called dead birds, which is kind of like, <laughs> get, get this. Let, let me, let me say that me, on my iPhone. I think. no dead birds is um it's like uh reservoir dogs set in the civil war meets the ring so (laughs) so there dude and and it's got it's got a weird cast it's actually i love the cast but what happens is these guys have robbed a bank in the civil war I know these guys—they've <laughs> robbed a bank in the Civil War, and they need a place to hide out. So they're hiding out in what turns out to be a haunted house. And all of the scares in this movie—it's so silly—are there's a little kid like standing in the distance with his or her back to the camera, and someone's like, "Hey, little kid," and walks slowly up, and then and slowly up, and you're getting closer, and the camera's moving into the little kid, and the little kid turns around and has a demon face. <laughs> it's just like it's such a it's such a, like a one trick pony that silly movie. Um, but it freaks wait, that's me in out. Dead Birds. That's in that's that's pretty much the entirety of Dead Birds is scary demon faced kids turning around to surprise character actors dressed up in Civil War costumes. <laughs> so there. So but, fucking there. But a lot of horror movies do this. Is they just have the cheesy, you know, we're gonna make the C, we're gonna do the CG scary face, and it it kind of cheats and doesn't work most of the time. But but I remember really liking it in Dead Birds because it it was kind of freaky. Uh. I saw that movie The Visitor this week, and it has that. But I think she was wearing a mask. That John well, used. The- no that's the thing. Well, that that sort of thing used to be all practical. So when I'm watching a movie now and I know it's going to be a practical effect, I ask myself, you know, I, back then when I when I was watching horror movies and you knew it was going to be a practical effect, I could console myself with this idea of, you know, how how bad is it going to be when you finally see the monster or the scary face? It's just going to be some bit of makeup. But CG lets you cheat around all that stuff. Uh, and it's. It, it 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 gets to be sometimes it works, but it, it's for the most part kind of a shortcut, and it's a it's a bummer. Um, I thought I, of another. Oh, go on. Sorry. Uh, I loved the CG, the way it was used to uh, in the context of the story in Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like the way things would be erased and the the uh, names off of the books vanishing. Uh, you know, they did mm-hmm. some cool stuff with that. Cynic Doach. Synecdoche had a lot of CG uh, skyline stuff, not movie skyline, but actual skyline stuff in the movie. like the set like stuff, stuff in the sky. Well, just like I think they CG'd backgrounds to make it look like there was a real city outside the city, like he right. was in the fake city. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Dingus, uh-huh. what do you got for us? Runners up. Uh, the only runner up I have is something that you mentioned a little while ago, um, but I, I have it for a different reason and it's similar to my other two choices, and that would be uh, adaptation for the character. Reason. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. Well, the fact oh, that it's uh, Charlie uh, Charlie Kaufman's brother Donald, right? <laughs> right. 
So this should have just been the three best use of twins or like similar characters. Well, I, I just like that. I like if it, I like if it supports the character, and I, I like yeah. how it's used in that film, and it really works. Well, so do you guys know then about the Jeremy Irons and Dead Ringers thing? Wasn't that all composite photography tricks? Like he would act with an empty screen, and they wouldn't move the camera, and then he'd turn around and they'd composite the frames together. Am I am I making this up? I think you're you're right about that. I mean, that, that it was definitely done in, in a different way. I mean, you can right. see sort of if you look at, at different shots, you see there's always a, a dividing line in the scene. There's always sort of a, a demarcation that you can find in, in a lot of that older stuff. And and one of the reasons I brought I, I made an allusion to that earlier is that um, when when they were making Moon, they watched a lot of that movie and they and they. Also paid attention to what, um, what, uh, oh crap, who directed? Dead Ringers? No, who directed that? Cronenberg. Oh, uh, uh, uh Michelle uh, Gondry. No, no, Spike Jones. Spike, Spike Jones. That's definitely Spike Jones. Yeah. yeah. And they talked to Spike Jones and he gave them advice on, on how you act a scene in that, in that case. And, 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 and his advice to them was, you know, shoot the scene, pay attention to, to who is, is, uh, whose intentions are leading the scene and shoot that part first. And so, and so that's why both of those things appeal to me. I didn't, I haven't watched dead ringers in a long time, but I think you're right about the composite. Well, I think dead ringers does do some CG trickery at the end when he's cradling himself, like when he's holding himself. Uh, And I, I recall, I think that they did do some minor trickery there because it didn't have that demarcation. But, but for the most part, you're right. It's the same, I guess it's the same technology they would use like in, I dream of genie or whatever when one of the characters gets copied and they're all they're always at separate halves of the screen and they can't hand each other. You know, actually in the in Back to the Future, like the the yeah the pizza one, part yeah they all have to take up a slice of the pizza yeah they're handing like, things that was around. the big thing. Look, product placement and CG and at the same time yeah, yeah fuck you. So here's one that I'm increasingly that I'm. I, I love the sort of the technical art of it, but it calls so much attention to itself. I still love the movie. I still love the scene, but I don't think it's a, I think it's an overly gratuitous use of CG, but the, the, the car scene in children of men, starting with the ping pong ball, uh, where the camera's constantly going around. There's a great scene like that too, in war of the worlds where they're freaking out and they're driving away from the, from yeah. the city, but this stuff where the camera's doing completely implausible stuff, uh, I, that I don't. I'm not real crazy when I see that anymore. Like the like the camera in Book of Eli flying through the the hole mm. that the rocket launcher made, like that sort of thing. You know, Children of Men and World of the Worlds. That was really cool wizardry, but it just reminds me this is CG, uh, and I kind of don't think I like that anymore. But you like those two examples you're talking about? I did at the time. Yes. If I were to see people doing that now, I, I would say no. It's more like on CG. It's like the thing in adaptation where the car hits comes out of nowhere they were talking about last week like now that's in every fucking movie like right. now it's been done it's it's right for right. parody right exactly uh, but oh i thought of another one i like well then okay. i didn't want to cut you off but remember, okay the ring you were mentioning remember uh-huh. the part at the end where uh she comes out she's gonna kill martin henderson and there's like this, this always this to me is like the scariest thing in the ring is where she, there's like a jump cut like she jump cuts closer <laughs> to him. I love that. I fucking love that. No, I like, don't. I don't think he, that is that is creepy, and it reminds me of that Burger King commercial where the king does that thing too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't. Know. 
I don't so, think that's CG. That's just cutting out certain frames. But yes, I love that as well, and it freaks me out. Uh, yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, like you know, that. actually, I'm thinking. So there, I'm thinking too of a couple of uh, my my favorite Asian horror movie is called uh, Pulse. Uh, in the oh, I've Jap- seen that. Yeah, and in Japanese, I think you say Cairo, Cairo, whatever. But it has a scene in it that was later copied for the American movie, and I think there's an homage to it in Brad Anderson's last horror movie, which is called The Vanishing on 7th Street. And I love the scene in Pulse where you see an an airplane crashing in the background, and that's Mm -hmm. obviously CG. But man, that just sort of, you know, post 9-11, you do that. You show an airplane crashing into the city. That's like serious, just chilling stuff. And I loved how they did that in in Pulse and in Vanishing on, on Seventh Street. And in Idiocracy. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't mind so much. That one was on fire. Oh. <laughs> it was just, it had nothing to do with the scene either. It was just a random thing right. in the background. Yeah. Like people are too <laughs> dumb to, to fly, yeah. <laughs> Best movie ever made. Yeah. I, I think we're all idiocracy apologists. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Death Becomes-er apologist because Zemeckis is all CG, boy. Oh, that's right. That's like before he went, like before he completely went over the deep end. Yeah. All that, right. those, those twisted heads and stuff. Yeah. Before he went all crimes of the heart on us. Uh, I'm thinking Remember, more Polar come, Express. Yeah, all that. <laughs> I never saw but, Polar Express. Is it good? No one saw that. Like Why it? would you? No, you would. Of course. Well, you'd. but that makes me just make. Maybe it's good because, like, I didn't see MacGruber until like a week ago, and I don't I was see like, Polar. Oh. There, no, Polar Express is for babies. Is, Mac, is MacGruber uh, like Polar Express? Did you see? Did you see Beowulf? Beowulf is the one to see, Kelly Wand. If you want, I'm to a Beowulf apologist. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I think we all do. So. I just don't understand why he has to do all that silly. What it, it's not rotoscoping, but whatever that that thing he's doing with the animation, it's just annoying. Yeah, yeah, Beowulf's good. Yeah. Thanks Chris, for reminding me. Crispin Glover as the monster. Yeah. It's good, except for the constant. We're trying to Austin Powers hide his penis stuff, which is hilarious. Beowulf should have been rated R, and and Billy Crudup's stunt penis should have appeared in Beowulf. I agree. I agree with you guys, but it was also kind of amazing that they actually do had him nude doing it. Like, they went to the trouble. I mean, uh, you know, I hate it the same time I like it. Well, that's the way it really happened, Kelly Wand. That's historically yeah. accurate. And also, is that a Norse myth that she had high-heeled feet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. CG, I'd like to... Uh, uh, I'm thinking of starting a band called Billy Crudup Stunt Penis. <laughs> Can I be in it? Yes, you can. And Kelly Wand will be on the album cover. Yeah, well, that's where I belong. Uh, uh, this, what is? Uh, oh, Kelly Wand, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the Star Wars prequels were directed by an empty chair, and they oh, we almost the made it. We yeah, almost made it. I know it was close. It was close. <sighs> okay, back to Dinkus. <laughs> Thank you, Tom, for letting that happen. Yes, I we think were so close. What is what is not next, that easy? Dingus, what is next week's three by three, and is it something that no one can possibly bring up Star Wars about in in the context of next week's three by three? I'll find a way. I don't think there's any topic where you couldn't bring up Star Wars actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you just jinxed us. It's all. But what about what about your favorite three movies that have nothing to do with Star Wars? Um, that would be the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very well played. Thank you me. never know when Dingus is going to hit it, but when he does, <laughs> he hits you right in the nuts. Your blue nuts. All right, Dingus, what do you got for us? 
<laughs> All right, this is kind of the opposite of Kelly Wan's last choice. And I've you been mean good. No, it's not good. I, I think you guys are going to yell at me because it's a little close to something Tom did before, but it's something I've had uh, on deck for a long time. And uh, and this is uh, your favorite real moment. Now, uh, let me let me sort of describe it a little bit. Uh, this is a moment in a, in a scene or in somewhere in a movie where something happens that seems totally unscripted or extemporaneous, whether it was or not. It just feels like it was just something that happened in a scene, and the director just said, "Screw it, we're going to keep that in." It, it can be, it can be a flub that you feel like it, it, that they kept in, or an actor breaking that they feel like we're going to leave that in because we like the take and we like what it adds. But it, but it's your favorite moment where it really feels like something real happened that was unexpected. So does anything need to be taken off the table, like like stormtroopers hitting their heads? <sighs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> um. Talking about well, yeah. yeah I don't, don't take Star that Wars. off the table. I, I'll, I'll give you guys an example if you need it. I'll take. I don't know. need one. I love this. And what, by the way, what topic did I do that you think is like this? I love this topic. What, what do you also? Your, what about clone troopers sitting? <laughs> your your uh, thing about um, physical bits that aren't faked. Uh, where where that went when we did it. Ugh. Came dangerously close to what I'm talking about, okay. but it's not really that. No, no, it, I, yeah. you know because. The stuff that Kelly Wan was talking about with uh, with um, John Cassavetes uh, is is very clear a part of the character. It's not something that feels like it just happened. Right. Um, so th- this is something that feels like it just sort of happened. Kind of like uh, Alec Guinness doing the thing with his hand in Star Wars. <laughs> Actually, he just oh. farted. I read in Making of Star Wars, and he was waving it away. So it was. I would fit. say it's. It's more like when he falls on the detonator in River Kwai. <laughs> very good. That was an accident. The no, thermal I, detonator? Uh, I like this. I like this, Dingus. That's a very good topic. Wait, I have a question I, for Dingus. Okay, Kelly Wand, what's your question? Does it have to... Uh, he's making it sound it could be either or, but I think it matters. Does it have to be something that was um, real? You know, I, I want to intercept real quick here. I am always skeptical when I hear stories about... Yeah, Harrison Ford improvised the I know line. So I would say we really have no way of knowing what's real and what's not. So basically, screw that question, because uh, I tend not to believe when I'm told things are or aren't real. Uh, I just go on gut instinct. That's fair enough. But everyone agrees that he did. He wrote it. He didn't improvise. No, oh, please. You know, and that's also like uh, uh, Robert Shaw uh, did the he, he came up with the Indian. That's that one's debated. And there's a lot of different opinions on that. But like everyone said, no one disputed the Harrison Ford. Thing. I'm disputing like, it right here and now. I'm disputing it. I care. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there's also the apocryphal story of him, you know, shooting the guy because he had diarrhea. Right now. Right. Just it, it has to be something that you when you watched, you went, man, that feels so real. Right. It feels like it, it happened outside the movie and they kept it. And, and Dingus, can it be CG'd? <laughs> it has can a computer, can a guy, have, a special effects guy actually have typed in the commands by deliberation? No, this is there good. has to be a special Foley effect that goes along with it, like a <laughs> boing. Like a... Uh, good, I like this. Okay, very good. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm totally good. down with this. All right, so uh, next week, that will be our 3x3. Three three. Uh, we will also be seeing uh, Your Highness... Directed by mm, David mm. Gordon Green. Uh, we're all fan. Well, I'm a fan of his. Dingus doesn't. He was know. awesome in 90210 as uh, Vanessa Marcel's husband. 
All right, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McCoskey. I think I got that right. No, it's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. CG Balls was my nickname back in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, why is he a jerk? Yeah, this is an awesome song, Dingus. La, 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 la. It's not even a cover. This is the real song. Yeah. You can't use this in a podcast after it's been used before. <laughs> this podcast uh, was not as good as Fight Club. <laughs> Fight Club, way better than this podcast. I agree. I wish you'd use this. Was it as good as Charlie Kane's Detroit podcast? La la la. Oh. La la la. Uh, this podcast never happened. It was all a product of your imagination inspired by Tom's gramophone music. <laughs>